Good morning again. Good morning to you for the first time, for me anyway, and for those of you joining us online, we're glad that you found us, and uh, we are excited uh, to be worshiping God together today and thankful for the freedom uh, to do so and the ability to do so. Um, we are wrapping up a series today titled The You Next to You, where we have been exploring how we love God by loving people, loving the people around us, even the people that don't look like us or act like us or vote like us or uh, live where we live or do things the way we do things. Uh, we are following Jesus' command to love God by loving those around us. And if you missed one of those messages, uh, you can always find them on our website uh, by going out to linwoodchurch.org, hitting the media tab. You can listen to audio there. You can find us in our iTunes podcast as well. Or we've got video on YouTube and on Facebook, and many people are joining us live right now. So this week, we're going to be picking up where we left off last week. Last week's message was titled, Go Love. And it was pretty simple command of Christ to go and do likewise. At the end of the parable of the Good Samaritan, which we looked at in week four, uh, concludes with which one was a neighbor. And the, the teacher of the law said, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. And so then uh, we looked last week at the golden rule, and Jesus is teaching in Luke 6 that sort of surrounds the golden rule, do to others as you would have them do to you. And we found that in that passage, he tells us not only to love and to serve and to be kind and to do those types of things and to show mercy, uh, he defines how far we're supposed to go with that, not just to our neighbors, as in the people that live near us or around us or that look and act like us, but he says specifically to love our enemies and to do good to those who persecute us and to forgive people when they have wronged us and to uh, go the extra mile in the way that we do that. And so we talked about that. We talked about speaking the truth in love and, and how sometimes we lean into that a little too hard and we're a little too eager to give people a piece of our mind instead of giving them a piece of our heart. And uh, that Jesus does model that a few times in his ministry, but usually with people who were trying to keep uh, those away from God, trying to keep people away from God and using religion to do so. And so when we... Uh, kind of came to the conclusion of all that. We, we landed on this bottom line last week that when you don't know what to do, ask what love requires of you. When you don't know what to do, when you're not quite sure what to say, ask what love requires you to say. If you don't know what to do with a person or a group of people, ask what does love require? Self-sacrificing surrender. And we need to look no farther than the cross to find out what love requires of us. It's self-sacrifice. It's putting the needs of others in front of ourselves. And so today we're going to pick up where we left off on that, and we're going to be looking at the teachings of the Apostle Paul. We've been in the Gospels for the most part, reaching back into the Old Testament a few times and into the other New Testament writings, but Paul makes a very bold statement in the book of Galatians in regards to this theme of loving the you next to you. And if you want to turn to Galatians chapter 5, we'll be in there for a little while as we get started. And he says something in the back half of verse 6 that should get our attention. He says in Galatians 5, verse 6, the second half, he says, The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. 
Now, he's in the middle of a conversation about the law, much as we've been talking about, and specifically about circumcision, which was, which was a sticking point for some in regards to becoming a converted Christian. There, he was speaking to a Gentile world, and people were coming along behind Paul, and they were saying, if you're going to become a Christian, you have to become a Jewish for, as well. You have to be circumcised, and you have to adhere to the law. And Paul is speaking very boldly against that. He's saying, no, it's Jesus has paid the penalty for our sins. We do not need to, to meet the demands of the law. We are not doing, doing, doing in order to gain God's favor. We have become a part of the family of God through our faith in Jesus Christ. And therefore, we do acts of love and service and we seek to live holy and righteous lives as a response to what has been done for us. And so he says very clearly, in regards to the law, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And he takes it even a little further, just a few verses down in, in verse 14 of chapter 5. He says this, he says, the entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. And if you remember Jesus' ministry earlier on, we looked at Jesus when he said, you know, there's two main commands, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. Paul boils it down because he understands what we've come to understand and what we've been talking about, that you love God when you love your neighbor. That God is so crazy about every single person in this room and every single person that's not in this room that the best way for us to love him is to love them, to love each other, to put others first and to practice a self-sacrificial love of God by loving other people, by putting them first. And so Paul is basically saying, if your faith isn't expressing itself in love, you've got a problem. You need to ask, why is that? Why is my faith in God who loved me and gave himself for me and wants to live within me and make me an ambassador for Christ in this world to bring others into the family of God, if my faith in him isn't expressing itself in love, we need to ask why. Maybe we got off course. Maybe we believe something that, that is not fully compatible with the gospel. If it allows us to treat others in a way that is not loving and kind, then we've got a problem. And so our bottom line today is it takes faith in Christ to go love like Christ. It takes faith in Jesus to go love like Jesus. When we put our faith, our hope, our trust in Jesus, in Christ, then we will naturally go love like him because we're relying upon him, clinging to him, and trusting him. And we naturally have a response that is loving towards those around us. And we recognize that we love God best when we love our neighbors, when we love the people around us, when we love his kids. And sometimes people say, well, what if I don't love my neighbor? <laughs> what, what if I don't feel warm and fuzzy about my neighbor? And there's good news there. He's not commanding you to feel warm and fuzzy about them. He's not commanding an emotion. He's commanding an action. Love is a verb. He's commanding you to do something. And so C.S. Lewis answered that question very, very well in Mere Christianity. He says, what if I don't love my neighbor? The answer is simple. Act as if you do. Act as if you do. Just pretend for a while. And do loving things. And a couple of things will happen. You'll probably develop an affection for the person that you are self-sacrificially loving. And if you don't, you'll still be 
fulfilling the command that Christ has given you to love your neighbor as yourself. So if you don't feel the emotions, you can still practice the act of obedience. And oftentimes the emotion follows. Oftentimes. Sometimes people said, you know, in a marital counseling situation, I, I don't love her anymore. I don't love him anymore. I said, act as if you do and see what happens. Act as if you do. Act like you did when you were courting each other, when you were dating each other, when you were Twitterpated and in love. Act as if you do and see what happens. And nine times out of ten, that's all it takes just to start acting as if you love each other. And those feelings return. The feelings follow the actions. But either way, we're not commanded to feel something. We're commanded to do something. And so if we revisit the the passage that we looked at last week in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36, love takes on a variety of forms. He tells us to love, to bless, to pray for, to turn the other cheek, to give generously, to lend without expecting repayment. And he sort of summarizes it all with be merciful. Be merciful. And the best definition or shortest definition of mercy that I've ever heard is, is when you don't get what you do deserve. That's mercy. And so when he says something like turn the other cheek, the whole law, the old way, an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth, tooth would say that if somebody slaps me in the face, they deserve a slap back. Jesus says be merciful. Don't give them what they deserve. Your heavenly father hasn't given you what you deserve, which is eternal death and separation from him. So we don't give others what they deserve. We give them better than they deserve. We choose mercy. We choose to be merciful. And he adds a kicker to it. He says, even as your heavenly father is merciful. He defines how merciful we're supposed to be. And we would be a lot easier for us to, to, to figure this out and to actually do this if he hadn't added that second part. But he tells us how far we're supposed to go in our merciful, in being merciful, in loving our neighbor, in showing love to the people around us. And this is all in the context of doing this to our enemies, to those who are persecuting us, to those who are actively resisting us. And I'll just warn you, if you haven't already figured this out, maybe, maybe you will soon. But sometimes your act of love will be misunderstood. Sometimes it will be undervalued or unreciprocated, and you will go out of your way to love somebody, and they will not value it the way that, that you would like them to. They will not hold it in regard. They will not return it. They may even resent it. And all you have to do is look at the, at the Gospels to see that this happened to Jesus over and over and over again. That his love for mankind was not always reciprocated. It was not always appropriately valued. It was not always understood. And sometimes it was even resented. In fact, sometimes your act of sacrificial love will be interpreted by others as a lack of faith or as living in fear. And we only need to look at Jesus who was mocked on the cross as he hung with nails in his hands, suffocating in, the, in his own body, suffocating as his lungs filled with fluid. And people were mocking him and jeering him and saying, if you are the son of God, you can save yourself. It was, they missed it. And sometimes our acts of love will be done, will be missed as well. And they will not be returned to us. And yet I want to encourage you, keep loving. 
Keep giving. Keep serving. Keep forgiving. Keep putting others first. Not because of what might come to you in return, but because Christ has commanded and because we believe that he is with us and that he is pleased. And we desire nothing more than to please him. Nothing more than to serve him. Nothing more than to love him by loving others. And so we keep showing mercy. We keep giving people better than they deserve. And we keep doing it because God has said in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, I desire mercy over sacrifice. I don't want you to do the wrong thing and then come slaughter an animal and put it on my altar. That was the old system where you did the wrong thing and you brought a sacrifice to atone for it. He's saying, I desire mercy, that you would be merciful to each other, that you would give each other better than you deserve. And that you would give the people outside of the family of God better than they deserve. I desire mercy over some sacrifice to atone for your lack of mercy. God has made this crystal clear. He said it in Hosea 6. Jesus said it in Matthew 9. His brother, James, in James 2.13, concludes that first section of James 2 with this triumphal proclamation that mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy, God's mercy triumphs over the judgment. Jesus taking our place on the cross gives us mercy, brings us into the family of God where we are recipients of mercy and that act of mercy triumphs over the judgment that we deserve from the law. But there's a second meaning and that second meaning is that our mercy, your mercy triumphs over judgment and condemnation. When you choose to be merciful to someone, to give them better than they deserve, your mercy is triumphing over judgment in that moment, and it's creating doors for people to walk into the family of God. And I think this is an important reminder not to develop spiritual pride, that, that sometimes as we, as we become holier, we also become more prideful, it's a way that the enemy works in. And as we, as we stop sinning, we, we don't have as much patience or tolerance for those who are still sinning or who, who never have heard the gospel. And we say, why do they do the things that they do? And why do they act that way? And why don't they just get, their, get things figured out? And we become prideful. And spiritual pride is probably the most insidious of all forms of pride. And so this mercy that we give people better than they deserve, that we look on them with mercy, that we look on them with tender-hearted compassion becomes an important habit for us to develop and an important thing for us to watch for that we don't become spiritually proud as we love the people around us, as we seek to serve them. And Paul David Tripp says it very, very well in his brilliant devotional the, um, that I've recommended a number of different times called New Morning Mercies. And I remember when he made this statement I wrote it down and I saved it because it said the person next to you doesn't need the gospel more than you. He or she just needs it differently than you. All people fall short. The you next to you doesn't need the gospel less than you. They just might need it differently than you. We all fall short. And so we have opportunity through extending mercy taking the mercy that we have received from our Heavenly Father and allowing it to flow through our lives into the lives of others. It's not supposed to hit our lives and stop. It's supposed to move through our lives into the lives of others, that we would be a river of mercy flowing through us, that we receive mercy from God freely and we give mercy freely to the people around us, that we become conduits for His mercy 
to reach the people that we are in contact with, that we have influence over. Freely you have received, freely give. And so that's one warning that we might become spiritually proud or that we might start to look down on people and that would cause us to not have a loving or merciful posture to them. There's a second warning, and that second warning comes with an encouragement and an exhortation. It's from Paul in Galatians 6, 9, and 10. So you just flip the page over from chapter 5 to chapter 6. In Galatians 6, 9, and 10, we read him, we read his words when he says, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, all people, especially to those who belong in the family of believers. Now, the second warning is that we would wear ourselves out, that we would overextend ourselves, that we would, that we would go beyond and we would sort of flame up and flame out. And we would grow cold. We're told in Second Timothy that, that the love of some will grow cold in the last days. That they'll be tired of it. They'll be sick of it. They won't do it anymore because their love will go cold. We don't want that. And so Paul is giving really wise advice here. He said, don't try to do everything and burn yourselves out and get overwhelmed and get weary. But also don't decide that, well, I can't do everything, so I won't do anything. I'll keep it fair, right? Remember when you sat down and in first grade, and you got out your little fun-sized Snickers bar, and you were about to eat that, and the teacher said, oh, do you have enough to share? Do you have one for everybody? And so you put that away real quickly, and thought, well, I'll eat it sometime when nobody's looking. And so sometimes we get an idea, if I can't do it for everybody, then I shouldn't do it for anybody, because it's not fair. And Paul is saying in Galatians 6, 9 and 10, that just because you can't do everything for everyone doesn't mean you can't do something for someone. Therefore, as you have opportunity, as you have opportunity, as you have means, as you have availability, as you have opportunity, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. When you see somebody in an old beat-up car and they're trying to fill up their gas and they won't take their card because the card's overdrawn or the debit card's overdrawn and the Spirit of the Lord says, you can help right now. And you go and you put $20 of gas in their car. It doesn't mean you have to do that for everybody at the station. You do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Or when your neighbor is sick and needs somebody to run errands for them and you know you can't do it for everybody in your apartment building or everybody on your neighborhood, but you know you can do it for one. And so you do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And weariness becomes a sign that maybe the flesh is getting involved. Maybe you need to hear Jesus' words from Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Learn from me and take my yoke upon you, for it is easy and my burden is light. Weariness may be an indication that you have taken on a burden that was not yours to carry that you're trying to do for everyone what he's asked you to do for one person. So there's a balance here. There's a balance between spiritual pride that causes you to look down on people and not serve them in love or doing everything for everyone, burning yourself out and becoming bitter and resentful. Somewhere in between is an authentic expression of faith in Christ that loves 
our neighbor as ourself. And so you can see that it takes faith in Jesus. It takes a daily walk with Jesus to go love like Jesus. Even Jesus withdrew to a quiet place to rest, to be refreshed, to reconnect with his heavenly Father. Even Jesus did not rush down when they heard that Lazarus was sick. He took some time. He, he took his time getting there. We see examples of him meeting the needs of people, serving people sacrificially for extended periods of time, but also withdrawing and resting and, and putting boundaries in place to make sure it was sustainable. It takes faith in Jesus. It takes a walk with Jesus, a daily walk, daily time in his word, daily time in prayer, daily time in fellowship, weekly time in fellowship with other believers to love like Jesus. And so I want to leave you with a story that, that Jesus tells on one of the last days of his life. And I think it's a fitting conclusion to our series here. And I don't want you to read it necessarily. Uh, it's not going to be on the screens behind me. I just want you to listen to it as he speaks to, to the people in Matthew 25. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, to the sheep in this case, these words we all long to hear, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And he tells them why. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And interestingly enough, the response is not necessarily what we expect. We hear, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and give you food? When did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for me, or did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Whatever you did, whenever you did it. When you chose to be merciful, when you chose to love your neighbor as yourself, you did it for me. You didn't do it for them. You were doing it for me. But that's not the end of the story. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they will also answer with surprise. Lord, when did we see you hungry and thirsty or a stranger and needing clothes or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And then they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. You remember when I sat down here at the beginning of week two, for those of you who are in the room or who are watching online, and I started that message. I said, you want to know who I hate? 
and it got people's attention. You could have heard a pin drop. And I went on to say, of course, I don't hate anybody. I used to hate some people. And I can honestly say I don't, I don't have the ability to hate people anymore. But the people that I used to have the hardest time not hating were the people that, not the ones that hurt me, not the ones that did something to me, not the ones that inflicted pain upon me or neglected me. It was the ones who hurt my kids. It was the ones who inflicted pain on my kids. It was the ones who neglected my kids. And when you hurt my kids, there's really no point in trying to make peace with me or buy me gifts or give me money or sing me songs or praise my holy name. The only way to make it right with me when you do something to my kids is to make it right with my kids. To do something for my kids. If you want to do something for me and really bless me, do something for my kids. I get twice the joy out of that. And I think, I think it's the same for our Heavenly Father. You see, God loves you so much that he allowed his only son to be beaten, mocked, spit on, and killed for his enemies. Not just for the ones that loved him, but for his enemies. And he did it so that you and I, though we were enemies, could become children of God. Forgiven and cleansed and redeemed for a purpose. And so religion says do more. Try harder. Earn it. Earn your way. But a relationship with Jesus Christ says, because of what you did for me, I desire to please you. I desire to love you. I desire to give my life over to you, to make my life about loving you by loving others. To be a child of God, because I have received mercy, I will freely give mercy. Not in order to check a box. Not in order to to win your favor and meet my needs, but because I've already had my needs taken care of, I desire to give. I desire to make my life a living testimony. And so the the message is clear from the story of the sheep and the goats. If you want to do something for God, if you want to do something for Jesus, do something for one of his kids. Love God by loving the you next to you, your neighbor, the people around you, your coworkers. And don't miss what he said in verse 40. Don't miss what he said in verse 40 when he said, whatever, whatever you have done. I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. When you thought you were doing it for them, you were actually doing it for me. And so, whatever you did for the least of these, whenever you did it, however you did it, if you're doing it in love and gratitude and faith in Jesus Christ, then, then you're doing what Paul said at the beginning of our message, that the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. Is your faith in Jesus Christ expressing itself through love to the people around you? That's the question. And so as we prepare to close, My prayer is that we would respond in faith to this message wherever we are. And I tend to find there's a continuing. Some people are getting this right the majority of the time. And they need to be affirmed and they need to be equipped to help other people get it right the majority of the time, to become spiritual leaders in the lives of others. Other people come and go. They get it right some of the time and not the rest of the time. And this is meant to encourage and to equip. Others are far from God. And they need to understand that there's a God who loves them, who is embracing them, who is welcoming them back that they could become 
children of God. So wherever you are on that continuum, my prayer is that you respond in faith to what you've heard and be different tomorrow because you came to church today. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your your mercy. And we ask you to help us. Open our eyes, Lord. Increase our awareness. Give us eyes to see as you see and hearts that are eager to do as you say. Grow our compassion, Lord. Stir our hearts. Empower us to love like you. Move our hands and our feet. Send us out, Lord, as you sent your apostles out. That's what the word means. Apostle is a sent one. That we would be disciples of Christ, learning to live as you live, coming to you, finding rest in you, and learning how to live as you live, learning to live in, in your way to accomplish your purpose. That we would be sent out to love the people around us, knowing that as we do, we are loving you and serving as ambassadors for Christ in your holy name. Help us to respond in faith to your word, O God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.